Look back on everything that he has already done in your life. Look at everything he's done in your family's life, in your church family. Look through scripture and see the mighty things he has done. Look through the gospels again and see what he did. And you will see proof of not just a living God, but an active God who cares about everything in your life. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. Welcome back to the Streetlights America podcast. My name is Daniel King. So happy you're able to join us, and I am hoping that what I'm going to talk about today might help some of us. I have something that's been kind of itching me in the back of my head for a couple months now. I knew I should talk about it, wasn't sure exactly how to put it forward, and it make a lot of sense. But I've been praying about it and studying a lot, and I think, I think God has given me the green light to go ahead and share with you what I think he's put on my heart. Now, this episode is specifically for people who have questions about Jesus. Let's just say you've been with, you've been a Christian, quote unquote, for a while. You might even be born again, and you just have questions like, can I really depend on this? Is this real? What can I do to give myself confidence that what I'm doing here is exactly what God has asked of me? In other words, you might be in a season of doubt. Now, doubt in itself is not wrong. Doubt happens to all of us at some point in our lives. Happens to me probably more often than I'd like to uh, confess. But we all go through struggles. We all have things happen that cause us to question what we believe. And there's one person in the gospel who actually had this problem. And is the one person who you would think had the closest tie with Jesus on so many levels that he shouldn't have had to ask this question. And this was John the Baptist. Now, the reason why that's significant is John was not only Jesus' cousin, but God intentionally sent him out to Israel to start preparing the hearts of people to receive Jesus. Now, after some time, John has been in prison and he had a... Uh, and he started to hear of what Jesus was doing. And for whatever reason, he was a little concerned. Why exactly? It's not exactly clear. But we read about this in Matthew 11, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in the cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, and said to him, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? I must apologize real quick, because I said verses 1 through 2, but it's 1 through 3. Regardless, we're going to stop there for just a moment. Keep in mind, John was preparing the way for Jesus to come, and he even told his disciples that, he, that Jesus was the Son of God. And now he's having some questions. He's a little concerned. So with that concern up front, we're going to pause there and we're going to talk about a couple things that might cause you to question or to be a little concerned about what's going on. One thing that might actually be for some of us is the unknown. 
let's just say you're new in your walk with Christ, or you're like me and you're one of those people who like to have some degree of control over what's going on. I'm not necessarily a control fanatic, but I'm one of those guys who will make a loose plan and try to stick with it. When the world keeps throwing curveballs, I have to admit that it throw it kind of drives me a little nuts. Sometimes just not knowing everything is something that will cause some of us to be thrown off. Paul actually addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, for the context of this particular chapter, he was talking specifically about like the gifts, like why why the gifts matter, but what matters more than your gifts. And he's talking specifically about love. Now, that's a little off topic, but the reason why I'm bringing this up, just because I care about context, what we're going to pull out of here, I think, honestly applies to what we're talking about today. So verses 10 through 12. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Now when he's talking about this, about, the, about spiritual gifts and why love, why faith, hope, and love are the greatest things, but love is greater, he's saying that there, what he's trying to tell his people here is that there are some things that we do not completely understand. And God has given us some things that we can look at, but sometimes our understanding of it is really simple. And sometimes we get to maturity, but also we're still seeing, even as mature Christians, as mature adults even, we're still seeing in a mirror, but there is going to come a day when everything is known. In short, Sometimes you might be the one who's just uncertain because there's some things in scripture that are unclear to you or just in life in general. One thing I will say that you can be assured about is that what you're given is enough. God's going to trust you what he has given you. And it may not seem like enough to you, but you will be surprised how little God has to give you for you to go a long way. As it says in Hebrews 11 verse 1, now faith is the sustenance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It is nothing wrong with not knowing everything. And what faith you have in what vague image you see, God is going to bless your efforts and bless the journey that he has set you on. So for those who are struggling with the idea of not knowing everything or knowing where God wants you to be and questioning if that is really worth your time, or if there is enough to prove that God is working with you, don't worry about it. What God has given you is enough to start. Now, there might be another batch of you saying, is Christ really going to be able to fulfill what he has promised? More specifically, will he be able to sustain me in the things that I've given up? Like the things I've lusted for in the past. Is God going to actually have something better for me? Proverbs 23, 17-18 says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Now I bring this one up, because 
I would not be a bit surprised if there's a lot of people who kind of miss the lives they had before Christ, despite everything that God has done for them. Because, you know, you remember the good times. You remember the things that you did for the fun of it. You know, you didn't think were bad, but then you realized they were eating you from the inside out. But you often wonder, is this something, is God going to be able to replace that? Well, let me give you a little hint. Now, I'm not pulling from scripture for this necessarily, but this is just, you might say, my eyewitness account of looking at the world and what I do know of scripture and what I believe God has made clear to me is that God definitely has replacement. And you see, that replacement is what he actually intended for you. For instance, when you think of sin, you might think of some, like a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts, do nots and do's, like, like things you should just never touch. But when you really look at sin and you squint hard enough at it, you realize that oftentimes it is a perversion of what God had originally intended for you, like the desire for wealth, sexual lust, things like that. Like there are things that God created to be sacred, and God is your provider too. But one of the things Satan loves to do is take what God has made and put it completely on its head with the intent of luring you away from God, saying that, hey, look at this, I can make it even better. Which, that's not the case. That's just not the case. You're basically taking a knockoff version that looks shinier, but in the end, it's just a cheap, empty shell. Now, there are some things that are just outright opposition to God, but when you look at a lot of sin in the world you will find that God actually has an active in-this-life replacement for you. You're concerned about your finances? God provides. He promises to provide for his people. you concerned about whether you have a good relationship with someone? God has a standard to help you find somebody that will best fit your life with him as your counselor. Do you desire a joy or happiness that you can't find in this world? Guess what? God, God can give it to you in this world. And really what he gives in this life that he has ordained is merely a taste, a flavor of what is to come. What he has prepared for you in the new heaven, the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, if you will. God has not just a substitute for sin. He has the original deal that basically got pulled out under our feet because, well, we're selfish people and we want more, even though what God has given is enough. And not only is it enough, it is the best. So don't be so lost in your past that you gave up because God will replace it. And also, let's just say you walked your life as a Christian. You could argue that you were a Christian from eight years old. That does happen. And let's just say now you're like, well, I want to try things of the world. I know temptation is a real deal, and it happens to all of us. Jesus was tempted, for peak's sakes. But just know that whatever you're looking at, God has a better substitute for that. Not a substitute, an original God has something better for you than what the world offers. It may not be shiny, but it will give you the joy and the peace that God has offered for you.
So in that regard, there's really no question to ask if God is, if Jesus is who he says he is, or if he's going to do what he says he does. Like, is he really who he is? I promise you, he's got you covered there. Now, let's just say there's someone else. Like, you just feel like you're stuck all the time. I know that feeling. And I think that kind of harkens back to my personal desire to kind of be in control of what's going on and know what's going on. Because I don't, it oftentimes makes me feel stuck when I'm really not. I'll take a step back a few weeks later after going through a rough week and say, oh, like, great, I'm not going anywhere. And then I look around like, actually, I am going somewhere. I'm just too busy living in this stuck moment. And I didn't see the open doors and open windows that God has set before me. Now, for those who feel like they're always stuck and feel like they're not getting anywhere, here's something interesting for you. I'm going to be reading from Revelation 3, verses 7 through 9. Now, the context for this is this is the section of Revelation where God has messages to some specific churches. Now, the messages he has for each of these churches is dependent on how they are performing spiritually. What, have, what traps have they fallen into? What good things has the Lord done in their midst that they have kept close to their hearts? Now, there's one church, Philadelphia, which, which is kind of unique in my opinion, because it's really one of the only churches, I believe, or one of the few, that didn't have any real critiques, but rather a promise. And I'm going to read to you what God said to this church and what those stipulations were. Starting in verse 7, and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those in the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Now, I know the last verse might sound a little weird, but let me put this into context for you. The Church of Philadelphia was basically in contest, and unless I'm mistaken, perhaps persecuted by some opposing religious sects ones that claim to keep up the word of God, but really did not. Now, what God is saying to this church is very interesting. He's saying, look, I open doors and people cannot stop them. I even close them and no one can get in. This is something that is important to us. We, we need to understand when God tells you to go, there is no shut door that's going to stay shut. And if that door stays shut, so you better look around because there's probably another one open that you missed. And he said because of their faith, because they have stayed true to him, that these people who were formerly their enemies would realize who God is by their faithfulness and that they would come to them to know more about the Lord. Now, this is important. If you're one of those people who feel like you're stagnant all the time and that you just can't move, Remain faithful to him. If you feel like that God is not measuring up or that he is not who he says he is, just be sure. Just be sure that you're remaining faithful to him because he's going to remain faithful to you. He's not going to close a door that you should have gone in. 
He's not going to open a door that you shouldn't go into. And by that faithful living, people will come to know the Lord in amazing ways. Your former enemies will find you to be interesting and at least a curious case. And if you don't necessarily like that, my friend, you have joined the wrong religion. Because this is not a religion so much about us as it is about what God is willing to do with you and for you. Now, that might sound a little selfish to some degree, but in reality, your faithfulness will keep and open doors. So, if you feel like God's not measuring up, or that you, or that Christ is not who he says he is because you're not moving, just look into your heart and see who you really depend on. That will give you a clue as to what God will and will not do for you. If you truly hold your faith strong in the Lord, you will see doors open that he will call you to do works in. Now, this also applies just to your everyday life, not just to ministry. I'm just using ministry as the backdrop because to some degree, that's what we're all called to. But know this, you are not stagnant. That's your choice. Keep the word. Have some strength in the Lord and don't give up. He will move you when it's time to move. And that's no excuse for him to not be God who he says he is. Now, as we bring this to a close, I want to double back to Matthew 11. Now, they asked Jesus, uh, John's disciples asked Jesus the question for John the Baptist, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now, here is Jesus' response, verses 4 through 6. Jesus answered, said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, what Jesus said here to John's disciples to report is to just tell John, look at what I'm doing. Do you not see that I am the Christ by my works? Do you not see that what I am doing among here is proof that I am the Son of God? Now, that's not necessarily beating anybody down, but the thing is, he's telling John that the proof is right in front of him. He even shows John's disciples what's going on to say, look, I am the Christ. This is the proof. Now, this is what I'm going to come back to. So here's what I want to take away from this. When you question if Christ is faithful, when you question if he's real, when you question if he's got you on the path that is really best for you, look back on everything that he has already done in your life. Look at everything he's done in your family's life, in your church family. Look through scripture and see the mighty things he has done. Look through the gospels again and see what he did. And you will see proof of not just a living God, but an active God who cares about everything in your life. Even the things that you see as mundane. Psalms 105.5 says, Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders, and the judgments of his mouth. 
recall to your mind everything that the Lord has done for you. And also, look around at the people in your life who you know that the Lord has used to touch you. You will see that he is there. I want to finish this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We may not be perfect people, but we can all testify to the greatness of God. We can testify to the times where he showed us a different path than the one we were on. We can testify to the way he provided our needs when we had absolutely nothing. We can testify to the grace and salvation and justice that he serves in such a loving and graceful way that the world cannot compete with. Satan cannot compete with it. No government can compete with it. The amount of testimony that is before us is so great that in a real court of law, something is real about Jesus. When you question, remember what the Lord has done in your life. Remember what he has done throughout history. Remember the grace, the mercy. Remember the joy that he has given you when you had none. And look to your neighbor and look to your brothers and sisters in Christ and look at the testimonies that we are all living today. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you all so much for listening, and may God bless you.